We are finishing up today the gospel series that we've been in since the beginning of this year. And, uh, and as we finish that up, I want to I give you a little promo of what we're going to start next week if you're wondering, all right, where are we going from here? Next week, we're going to start a series about giving. And, uh, and let me just say this. Uh, if you're worried about what I'm going to say about giving, then show up for yourself to find out what's he going to say about money. And, uh, and, and, and so, but let me tell you this, there's, there's almost nothing more freeing than getting your finances in order. And I've been in a situation where my finances weren't in order. And thankfully, not because I'm so smart, but because God's got patience with me and he's put the right people in my life to guide me. I'm in a situation now where my finances are in order. That doesn't mean I'm a millionaire. Doesn't mean I can go out and buy whatever I want, but it just means my finances are in order. I know where my money's going and I'm giving the right amount to the church and all that kind of good stuff. And I am more free now than I've ever been because financially I'm not having to worry about those kinds of things. And so we're going to start to talk about that next Sunday and I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be about giving, but it's also going to be about getting finances together and we're going to give you some tools to do that at the end of next month. We'll just have to show up and find out what that's all about. So I want you to know that that's where we're going next week. So if you've got a friend of yours you work with and you know they're all the time going bankrupt or whatever, just go to them tomorrow and say, Hey, your finances are all screwed up. You need to come to church with me next Sunday. No, don't say that. I'm just kidding. But, but it just it's a, it's a real-world thing that you could invite someone to come with you next week, and, and we'll talk about that kind of stuff. As, uh, as, we, as we continue today with, with the gospel series, I want to I confess something to you as, as your friend and as your pastor and tell you that, um, that sometimes, uh, and, and maybe more so lately than usual, sometimes I struggle with worry. Now, I know none of y'all do. I know that none of y'all worry about anything. And, and y'all read the scripture and where it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, bring your requests to God. You do that. Instead, you don't worry like I do. But I, I worry. And, and, and even more so lately. Now, I'm not talking about the life-crippling kind of worry that maybe you've struggled with or you know some people that struggle with where it's like they can't leave the house I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the kind of worry that's kind of a real-world worry where it wakes me up in the middle of the night, uh, I, I'm at work and, and worrying about something, and it distracts me from what I'm trying to concentrate on at work, and, and sometimes where I'll be having a conversation with someone, and, and even I'll be thinking in my mind, they'll say something, and it'll trigger something, and, oh man, you got this. And, and I know a lot of it has to do with stage of life right now for me. Because I'm in a stage of life where I'm experiencing things that I've never experienced before. We're, we're as this church, we're getting ready to build a building that's going to cost a ton of money. Just get ready when we start talking numbers. There's a number you have in your mind right now that you think, this is probably what we can build a building for. Just go ahead and start increasing it right now as you're thinking about it. Because I'm having conversations with Tracy Burkhalter, um, <clears throat> who, is, who is heading up our that, that team, this, this, the building, the design team, and as I'm talking to him, he keeps throwing these numbers out about doing stuff, and I'm like, dang, I, I had no idea it cost that much. So that's one of those things. The other thing is I've got, a, I've got a daughter who she was leading worship up here this morning, which is really cool that I get to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, y'all can give it. But uh, she's a senior in high school, and, and so we're now, she's going off to college 
next fall, and we're in the process of applying for scholarships, and you go on this federal website, and I'm thinking, oh, what if I put something in wrong, and she doesn't get money, you know, so there's all this stuff, just things I've never dealt with before, and maybe you're the same way, just at a different stage of life, maybe you're getting ready to have your first child, and you're thinking, what's going to happen, what if I you know, I, I'm responsible. I, I can't let this thing die. You know, whatever. And it, it, just all those things that you know. What maybe you maybe you've already got one child, and you're doing like like our youth pastor Blake, and they just had a baby like a th- few weeks ago. It seems like, and they're having another baby. You know, and so so that that's I'm sure that's something that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, what are we doing? We're having another baby. We just got a baby. And so whatever it is, maybe you've got disease or illness that's coming to your life, whatever it is. There can be these things that come into our lives that just can, can grab our attention and cause us to worry. And I think that all of us go through that at some point. And when we do that, that can be an unhealthy way to live because what happens is we can allow that worry to, to just kind of steal our joy of life. And instead of enjoying what's going on, instead of jo- enjoying what God wants us to enjoy, Instead, we're worried about what might happen and worried about something that probably never is going to happen. And, and when, we, when we get there, when that happens to me, a lot of times it starts to make me feel like that everything is about today and I can't get beyond the worry of today. And it's hard to think that there's a better future out there. It's hard to think that one day, these things that I'm worried about so much are going to be gone and, and I'm going to look back and they're not going to be a big deal. It's hard to think like that and it's hard to look to the future. But well, we talked a couple of weeks ago that the gospel gives us something to love and something to do and something to look forward to. And today, I want us to talk about something to look forward to. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the fact that Jesus died on a cross and, and rose again has given us something to look forward to, that there is a future beyond the worries of today. There is good news that goes on and on and on beyond what happens to be waking you up right now in the middle of the night. And, and you know, when you think about just life in general and, and who you are, you can probably remember there have been times in your life that you really had something you looked forward to. I think probably the first thing that most of us as kids looked forward to was Christmas. Can you remember when you were a kid and it'd be like July and you already start looking forward to Christmas? And you start thinking about, man, Santa's going to come and I'm going to get all this stuff and it's going to be awesome. I can remember thinking that way. And I can remember being in school and looking forward to graduation. And I think I started looking forward to graduation like eighth grade because I really didn't like school. And one day I'm going to get out of here. I don't have to do this anymore. And so you start looking forward to graduation. Now I'm kind of in the stage of life, and maybe you are, that I just look forward to vacation. I get that one week at the beach a year. And it's, you know, when me and Emily were talking about it last night, it's January. We're not going till June. And we're like, I wish we were going to the beach right away. So you start looking forward to that. And we all want something to look forward to. Well, in the Bible... God, God has told us different things that we have to look forward to, and I want to read one verse for you today, and we're going to look just at a one-verse message, and it's in the book of, of 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, look up here on the screen. It's going to be up here. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. A guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this book. It's really a letter that he wrote to a church in a place called Corinth, 
And so that, the people that lived in Corinth were called Corinthians. And so we're going to look at this verse that, that Paul wrote, and he tells us about what we have to look forward to. And it says this, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me read that again. Because when you just first read it, you're like, oh, that's nice. And then, but if you really start to think about what this means, it's kind of mind-blowing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The real simple message that Paul tells us about when we t- start thinking about what do we have to look forward to. If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you have to look forward to? The simple message is this. There are better things ahead. There are better things ahead. Now, when, when you read the Bible, and if, and if you haven't read the Bible for yourself, let me encourage you to do that. If, if, you've, if you only come here and you hear me read the Scripture, I want to encourage you to read it for yourself. Get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll get you a Bible. Get you a Bible that you can understand, all right? King James is great if you're a Shakespearean scholar, but most of you aren't. So get you a Bible written in English like people talk today. And grab a hold of that Bible and open to the New Testament and start reading it. And read that. And when you get done with the New Testament, then go back and read the Old Testament. But start with the New Testament. But I want to encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. And if you read the Bible yourself, you'll begin to see that in the Bible, there are all kinds of promises. God is promising all the time to do stuff. And, And a lot of those promises, in fact, most of those promises are very specific. Now, this is a promise that is about as vague as you can get. There are no specifics in this promise. And that is why I think it's, it's one of my favorite promises in Scripture. Because what he says is, basically what he's saying here is, listen, I'm going to do stuff for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you love me, I'm going to do stuff for you that I can't even explain to you. I can't even tell you about it because your tiny little human mind would not be able to comprehend it. Nobody's ever seen the stuff I'm going to do for you. No one's ever even heard about the stuff I'm going to do for you. And no one has even ever thought of the stuff I'm going to do for you. No one's imagined it. No one has been able to comprehend it. What I'm going to do for you is so amazing. Now, that's a kind of a vague promise, but I love it because what God is saying to us there is it's so big that you can't even understand it. That's how amazing the promise is. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about Blake and Laura Beth, our, our student pastor, and his, his lovely wife about to have another baby. And I was thinking about having babies. And having babies is one of those things kind of like this where, where before you have your baby, you think you understand about what it's going to be like to love a child. And even when, even when the baby, let's say the baby's not here yet, but your wife is expecting, or you're a a mother and you're expecting, you start, you already start loving that baby. When, when, when Sherry was, was pregnant with Emily, I already loved Emily. I didn't, we didn't even know if she was going to be a boy or a girl. We did the find out at the moment, you know, of, of birth kind of a thing with her, which was pretty cool. And, uh, but, but even though I didn't know if it was going to be Emily or Jason, we were going to name a boy Jason, and we never, we never had a boy, but we were going to name a boy Jason. We didn't know which way it was going to go. I already loved that child. And I think mothers are even better at this. Mothers really start loving that baby before it's born. And, and guys, if your wife is expecting, 
And Mother's Day is coming up in May. You better get her a Mother's Day card. I'm just going to let you know. Even if the baby's not born yet, okay? And if, if at Father's Day she's going to get you a card and you act like you're all excited about it, you know, don't be like, well, I'm not a father yet. Yes, you already are in her mind. So that's just free advice for you new, you new, new fathers out there. Don't make that mistake, all right? But, but before that baby comes, you're already starting to love it. But here's the thing. You don't love that baby near as much before it's born as you do the moment after it's born. And as you do the years after the baby is born. And as that child grows, your love for that child just grows and grows and grows. And it's almost overwhelming. And the thing about it is, is that all of you that have had kids, you understand that. I see you out there shaking your heads like, yeah, that's the truth. But nobody could have told you about that before you had the baby where you could have understood it. And in fact, I can remember before I had kids, listening to people that had kids talk about that, and I'm like, what are y'all babbling on and on about? Right? It's a baby. You're not the first person to have one. And then I have a baby, and I'm like, oh, I understand. I see what you mean. I'm crying. I don't even, you know. It's just, and so it's, it's one of those things that you can't comprehend until you experience it. And what, what Paul is saying to us here, is that if we follow Jesus, he has got stuff in store for us that we can't understand until we experience it. That it would waste words of the English language for him to try to explain it because we wouldn't be able to get it yet. But we'll understand it the moment we're in it and it will be overwhelming to us way more than even having a baby, way more than the the most intense emotional type of thing you've ever experienced has been. See, for those, for those who follow Jesus, there's a promise out there. There's a promise one day of heaven. There's a promise that one day we leave this earth and we go to a place that's a whole lot better than anywhere we've ever been, a whole lot better than where we are right now, and it's, it's a place of perfection. It's called heaven, and we, we talk about that, and we sing songs about that, and I grew up in a traditional church, and we'd sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, that old Baptist hymn, and we'd sing that and be all excited about it, and that's what the promise is. But here's the struggle for us as followers of Jesus living in the world we live in today. We live in a world that is constantly telling us that things are the greatest, the best, the most exciting thing you've ever experienced. And we're bombarded with that. We live in a world where where, where we've kind of learned to be cynical because we can't believe what's out there. We live in a world where people that had girlfriends that died of leukemia and we were all emotional about that and they played football. You found out the girl didn't even exist or, or you find out that the guy who was your hero that won a bunch of races on a bicycle, that you found out that he was a big cheat and a liar and a bully and all that kind of stuff. And so we live in a world where all these things that we seem to be so great, they turn out to not be true and it can make us cynical. And we live in a world where things are built up so much and then they rarely live up to what they're built up to be. When I was in college, there was a hip-hop song by Public Enemy called Don't Believe the Hype. And that's the kind of the world we live in. We live in a world where it's like, I can't believe, you're, you're hyping that up. You're trying to tell me how awesome that is, but I'm not going to believe that anymore. When, uh, when Sherry and I had been dating for, for just a little while, we'd been dating for about a year, actually. And, uh, and I grew up in Columbia and... You know, don't shout me down, Clemson people, but I, I'm a big Gamecock fan. I didn't go to Carolina because I grew up in Columbia because I, I was getting ready to go to school, and I told my dad, hey, I think I'll go to Carolina. He said, good, then you can live at home. And I said, okay, I won't go to Carolina. I'll go somewhere else. And, uh, and so, uh, 
But I, was, but I grew up a Gamecock fan, went to games since I was a kid, and huge Gamecock fan and that kind of thing. And I met Sherry, and we started dating, and we were in love in college and all that kind of stuff. And so we're telling each other what's really important to us and all this stuff. And she found out right away that Gamecock football was really important to me. And I'm telling her how awesome it is. She's never been to a game before. And so I'm like, oh, it is the most, it's the most awesome thing you've ever been to in your life. And I'm building up and, you know, talking about 2001 and all these people screaming. So I got tickets in the 1988 season for us to watch Carolina play Florida State. And I'm telling her, man, it's so cool. We got this quarterback, Todd Ellis. He is awesome. He throws the ball over the place. We had a great year last year. And, you know, just it was amazing. And so we're going to go. And, we're, you know, we go down there. We, we drive from Charleston to Columbia and stay with my folks. And we go to the game. And right off the bat, it was just one of those games. It's like the worst thing you've ever experienced as a fan. Florida State beat Carolina. 50, i got to write it because I've tried to block it out. 59 to nothing. 59 to nothing. Yeah, there you go. That's good. I hope that was only Florida State. I hope that was only Steve Bolt clapping at that and, and Scott Green, Florida State people. 59 to nothing. And here's the thing. What you got to understand, at that point in my life, I was one of those fans that I didn't leave any, no matter what. No matter what happened, I stayed. You know, and so it's like, and other people are leaving and I'm getting mad. I'm like, yeah, y'all are terrible fans. You're leaving. You know, let me tell you, I've gotten over that big time. I, dr I drive down there now and if at halftime it ain't looking good, I'm like, I got a hundred miles. I'm going back home. Y'all, you know, I'll leave it with you. But, but back then I stayed to the end. And so Sherry's sitting there with me, you know, and I've built this up. And so there is no way that, that was something that I built up to her was going to be the most amazing thing ever. And it far, it, it did not live up to the buildup. It did not live up to the hype. It, it, it fell far short of what I had told her it was going to be. And I think sometimes in life, we have been kicked in the gut with things that are way more important than football games. We, we've tried to build things up in our mind, and maybe before you got married, you kept thinking, this is going to be the most awesome thing, and then you get married, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, look at what you do every morning when you wake up. I didn't know it was going to be like this, and, you know, whatever it might be, and your laugh just gets on my nerves and, and all that. And so, you know, and, or, or maybe it's your job and you think, this is the job, this is it. This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one I've been studying for. And you get in there and you're like, after the first week, you're like, I'm going to shoot myself in the head before this is over with. And so sometimes I think that happens to us in life where, where we get to the point where it's like nothing lives up to what it says. And so when we read a verse like 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and it says, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. We're thinking, it can't be that good. It, how can it be that good? I, wanna, I, I want you to know something. that This verse, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says there, However, as it is written, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this letter, he was kind of quoting a verse from the book of Isaiah. Now, you've got to remember that back in the time that Paul was writing this, he didn't have the Bible on his, on his phone like I do, and, and he didn't even have a, a Bible that was bound and copied like this. He had to read the Scripture off of scrolls that were copied and recopied. And so what people would do back then, which we ought to do more of now, they would try to commit to memory as much of the Bible as they could. They would try to memorize it. 
So when Paul is quoting this verse from Isaiah, he quotes it differently than it was written in Isaiah. Look at how it was written in Isaiah 64.4. This was the verse that Paul was talking about. In Isaiah 64.4, it says this, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, I want you to notice a difference in these two verses. Paul ends the verse and says, those who love him. Isaiah ends the verse by saying, those who wait for him. Now, at first, when we read that, it can look like two different ideas here. Okay, is it, is it for those who wait on God or is it for those who love God? Which one is it? But if, if we think about what that really means and we think about what goes on in our own lives, I think we'll see that this is, this is really the same thing because what happens to us sometimes is we've gotten so used to being disappointed with stuff is that we don't like to wait on anything. And so when God tells us, hey, I've got this promise for you, but it's going to happen a long time in the future, we start thinking, yeah, but right now I'm struggling. Right now I'm having a hard time. I want the promise that's going to happen way out there. I want it to happen today. And what happens when we do that is that we get tempted to do things a different way than the way God has told us to do it. Let me give you an example by telling you a story from, an, from the Old Testament. Way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, you can read this for yourself this afternoon. There was a guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham had a wife named Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah wanted to have kids, and they never were able to have kids. And this was obviously way back, you know, thousands of years ago. They couldn't go to the fertility clinic and do all the things that, that, that we're able to do today. And so they couldn't have kids. All they could do was pray and just say, God, we want kids. Well, here's the deal. God told them, you're going to have a baby. Now, understand that they were old. Now, I'm not just talking about, like, having baby old age. Like, you know, like today, if somebody was 50 and had a baby, we'd be like, man, are you crazy? You're 50. You just had a baby. I'm talking they were 100 years old. Old, old. Older than most of us will ever live to be. And God said, you're going to have a baby. So he tells them that. And then it doesn't happen. In fact, it didn't happen for many years. So you know what they did? Sarah started thinking and she said, God, I know you've said you're going to give us a baby and you never have. So she had this plan. She goes to Abraham and she said, hey, you know my maidservant? See, back then, most women uh, that were well off like Abraham and Sarah was, Abraham had a, you know servants and land and cattle and all that stuff. So his wife had a woman that lived with them that basically did everything that Sarah wanted her to do. Her name was Hagar, which is very unfortunate. Um, that, you know, there's some, there's, there's kids today running around named Sarah. I don't ever know any little girl named Hagar anymore today. Thank goodness. But this, so Sarah has her servant Hagar, and so she goes to Abraham and says, I got an idea how we can have a baby. You, now, hey, parents, just a second here. Before I start talking about this, we have children's ministry in the back that your kids are supposed to be in if they're fifth grade and down, all right? If they're in here and they're fifth grade and down, all bets are off on what I'm about to say, all right? So if you haven't had the talk yet and your kids in here and they're below fifth grade, get ready this afternoon. It might be happening, all right? Sarah goes to Abraham and says, hey, you know my servant Hagar? I want you to sleep with her. I want you to have sex with her and get her pregnant. 
And then that way, God will bless us with a child through her. It just seems so out of whack to us today. And I have no idea, you know, if Abraham thought, is this, am I like on candy camera or something here? What's going on? But Abraham says, hey, woman, your idea, bring her in here, right? And so they do that. Hagar has a baby. And so you think, hey, look, it happened. God did what he said he was going to do. No. What happened was is that they weren't willing to wait on the promise of God. And so they tried to take matters into their own hands and do it their way, and it caused all kinds of problems. When you go back and read in Genesis and you start to read about the family strife that caused and then eventually the strife that that caused between nations all because they were not willing to wait on the promise of God. Now, you don't have a story that crazy in your life. But if you're like me, you can probably think back and you can think about times where you've read about the promises of God in Scripture. And instead of waiting to live out the promise the way God wants us to, you thought, well, I'm going to just take this shortcut and do it my own way. I know God says he'll bless me financially if I tithe and if I get my finances in order, but you know what instead I think I'm going to do? I'm going to have my business and I'm going to do these shady business practices instead, and then God will bless me financially that way. I know Scripture says that I'm supposed to wait to, 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 to be sexually active until I'm married, and I'm only supposed to be sexually active with the person I marry, but, but I think I can just go ahead and kind of to experience that right now and experience the blessings of sexuality now before I do it the way God wants me to do. And I could go on and on and on with the examples. And we are constantly, as human beings, unwilling to wait on the promises of God because they seem too far away for us. They seem like they're going to take forever. But the reason I think that that Paul says that God has great stuff planned for those who love him, and Isaiah said that he has great stuff planned for those who wait for him, is because this is what I think. I think that we love God by trusting enough in his promise that we're willing to wait on it. That we show God how much we love him because we say, God, I don't see how it's going to happen. I'm struggling right now, but I trust you enough. I trust you as God enough that I will wait on you and I will do things the way you want me to do. I will be faithful today for a promise that's not going to be delivered until after I'm dead or until I'm very old, that I'll wait on that. See, when we start talking about having something to look forward to, he's given us great stuff to look forward to. What we have to do is we have to live today as if what's coming is real. We have to live today with heaven in mind. Live today understanding that, okay, God has stuff planned for me that I can't even comprehend. And so how should that change what I do in 2013? If I know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven in the presence of Jesus, being made like him, the scripture says you will be made like him because you will see him as he is. And so if we read that in the Bible and we really believe it, how should that change the way I live today? And if I live today just as as who I am, if I live today with heaven in mind, it's going to change how I deal with people. 
It's going to change how I spend my money. It's going to change how I spend my time. It's going to change how, how open I am to, to being taught things by, by people who are, who are wiser than me. It's going to change my attitude towards folks. It's going to change everything about who I am if I live today with heaven in mind. And what if we all did that? There's a lot of people in here today. What if all of us went out of here today and, and we said, Tomorrow morning when I go to work or when I go to school, I'm going to live tomorrow, Monday, Monday of all days, the worst day that there is. I'm going to live Monday with heaven in mind. I'm going to, I'm going to treat people with the understanding of I'm going to spend eternity in heaven and I'm going to face Jesus and, and I'm going to be changed to be like him. I'm going to start doing that now. What if we all lived in such a way that we were willing to wait on the promise God has for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived how good it's going to be. We, uh, one of the things that we talk about at this church is we talk about that we want to be a church that, that helps people grow towards Christ and develop real relationships and love people. That's the three things we talk about. We want you as, you, as you experience this church through life groups and through worship and through finding a place to serve, we want you to grow towards Christ. We want you to develop real relationships with people around you, and we want you to love people, people that are here, people that are outside, people around the world. I think if we really begin to live every day understanding that the promise is real, then those three things will happen pretty easily if we live with heaven in mind. I want us to pray. And uh, when we're done praying, our band is going to lead us in a closing song. And I want you to celebrate who God is as you sing that song. But as we get ready to, to be done with this, and, and we've talked about the gospel for, for four weeks, I want you to understand that just because next week we're starting a series that's not called the gospel, the gospel is everything that we do here. And when we talk about giving next week, it's going to be in the context of the gospel, in the context of Jesus dying and coming back to life. That's, that's, what, that's why we gather. That's why we celebrate. And so as we go out of here today, if you're already a follower of Jesus, be excited about that. Be excited about the fact that you're forgiven of sin. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't walk out the door without grabbing a hold of me, grabbing a hold of somebody on this stage, grabbing a hold of one of our greeters and saying, I need to know more about Jesus. And we'll stop whatever we're doing. If I'm having a conversation with somebody, come interrupt me and I will stop my conversation to talk to you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, thank you for blessing us with so many things and for most of all, blessing us with the ability to accept you for dying on a cross, for not staying dead. And when we read the, the promise that you've got stuff planned for us that goes beyond what we're able to comprehend, help us to read that and as followers of you to accept it and to believe it and to live like it. I pray for myself, Lord. I pray for everybody else in this room that when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, that we would live with heaven in mind. Live with an understanding that you're real, that you have changed us, and that you want to use us to transform our communities. 
You are a great and mighty God, and we worship you because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.